Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from June 20th by Pastor Randy, titled, Teach Us to Pray, Part 6. So they asked Billy Graham in an interview, if you had to do all over again, what would you do differently? So at that point, I'm all ears because my Uncle Billy's like a spiritual giant. And I can't wait to hear what comes out of his mouth next. And what he says is this. What he would do differently is that he would pray more. We've been talking about prayer the last couple of weeks. And not only has the goal been meaning to get you to pray more, but, but to pray the way God wants us to pray. And I hope that in some ways this past couple of weeks you've been motivated to move from what I will call ATM prayers to pray in the way that God tells us that he wants us to pray. And I call them ATM prayers because most of us don't carve out a very big space for God. Most of us only go to God when we need something. And most of us are easily disappointed when he doesn't do exactly what we want him to do. But the biggest part is is that most of the time when we go to God and we pray, it's for physical things. God, fix this. Do this. But most of our, in fact, all of our biggest needs, they're not physical, they're spiritual. And if all you do is go to God with physical needs, at one point you're going to realize, probably later on in life, is that you've been fighting battles that really aren't worth fighting. Because our biggest battles are not physical, they're spiritual. And they're fought with God's word and prayer. In fact, in the New Testament, you read the prayers of the New Testament, you'll find really none of them are about physical things. They're all about spiritual things. So here's what we said last week. The reason our prayers have become so self-centered is because our faith has become self-centered. And as a result, nobody prays the way that God wants them to. All of our prayers are, God, fix this. Do this for me. The point of prayer is not just to get stuff from God. It's not to get God, it's not to get God on our agenda. The point of prayer is to surrender our will, not try and impose our will. Because we're Jesus' followers. We're not Jesus' convincers. We're not Jesus' users. We're Jesus' followers. So when disciples came to Jesus... After hearing him pray, they, they got together, they left his spokesman, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the first thing he did was tell us some things that they were doing wrong. And so what I want to do for today and for the next week or so is I want to look, let us look at some perspective that needs to change, some of our perspectives that need to change if we're going to pray the way God wants us to pray. Because what keeps us off from praying the way we want to pray is we just got things that's that we are brought up with, just things in our background, just things of who we are as people that get in the way of us praying the way that we're supposed to pray. And the one we're going to look at today is this one, the one that says, I deserve to be happy. That's what a lot of people think. Let me tell you, this: the details are different, but the stories are all the same. They go something like this. Been married for 24 years. 23 of those years, I haven't been happy. My husband, he's got his own agenda. He doesn't, never cared about the kids or me. Now the kids are grown and gone, and now I'm lonely. A couple of months ago, 
I ran to my old boyfriend. We were going to get married, but he wasn't ready. We've been spending a lot of time together. And I know you're going to tell me it's not right, but don't I deserve to be happy? And then I usually throw this in, and I think God wants me to be happy. Now that is everybody's story in here. Every one of us. We know what God wants us to do, but we've done this over here because we thought if I do this over here, it will make me happy. Eve thought eating that fruit would make her happy. Cain thought killing Abel would make him happy. Noah thought getting drunk would make him happy. Esau thought eating that bowl of soup would make him happy. Joseph's brothers thought throwing him into a pit would make them happy. Samson thought marrying that Philistine woman would make him happy. David thought sleeping with Bathsheba would make him happy. Amnon thought lusting after Tamar would make him happy. Solomon thought, oh, I've married 999 women. I know what. Number 1,000, that'll make me happy. The rich young ruler thought, if I keep all my money and all my possessions, that'll make me happy. Judas thought 30 pieces of silver would make him happy. And nice and Sapphira thought lying about how much money they had been given for the land would make them happy. See, we're all in this pursuit of happiness. We're that way. That's just what we want. In fact, it's, it's written into the foundation of our country, right? The pursuit of happiness. The worst thing you can do is get in, the, in between somebody and their happiness. We all think we have the right to live happily ever after. Nobody knows this better than the advertising industry. Whatever they try to sell you, it doesn't matter if it's a car or a pair of shoes or a, a, a resort vacation or anything like that. They will tell you, you buy this, it will come with a big fat can of happiness. Probably over the years, nobody's really done it better than McDonald's. McDonald's know that all these parents have these little screaming three-year-old kids. Or in this case, I think she was four. But they have these, these, these kids. And what, what do you do? You take them to McDonald's. And, and, and what McDonald's do, they'll take a warmed-over hamburger, a little order of fries, and a cheap toy and put it in a sack. And do they call it a healthy meal? Do they call it a hungry meal? No, they call it a happy meal. How well does that work? So they eat your Happy Meal, then they go to the playland, right? And they play on the slides and climb on a few things. And then when it's time to go, the mother or father go to the kids and say, it's time to go, let's get in the car and go. And without any argument, and just obey right, they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And they go and they hop into the car because they're so happy. <laughs> we laugh, but... As adults, all we do is buy bigger, more expensive Happy Meals. <laughs> See, in our culture, we worship happiness, but we also worship God. And so we combine those two and we say, God wants me to be happy. It's God's job to give me a can of happiness. And if I were to tell you that God wants you to be happy is a lie, you would say, well, does that mean God wants me to be unhappy? Does that mean God's favorite song is if you're happy and you know it, repent? God wants us to be happy, but that's not his highest goal. 
That's not his chief aim. God doesn't look at me when I get up in the morning and say, okay, today I want to make sure Randy is happy. Because think about it. If God wanted me to be happy, ice cream would be better for you than vegetables. Right? Cats would be an endangered species. If God wanted me to be happy, all politicians would have two term limits and they couldn't campaign until two weeks before an election. Here's what I want you to understand. Number one, if you believe God's chief concern is your happiness, then you have to believe that hurt, suffering, and pain can't possibly be God's will. God wouldn't want me to give up anything. God wouldn't want me to, to, to have to, to sacrifice anything. But yet, this is what we read in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Secondly, if you believe God's chief concern is your happiness, you'll begin to worship the false gods of comfort, pleasure, and money. They'll be the things that you go after. They're the things that will have your heart rather than God. Third, if you believe God's chief concern is your happiness, you'll be forced to believe that God exists to serve us. God, I did a good, day, good deed today. I went and helped my neighbor. So I deserve something for that, don't I? You know, maybe a new car or something or, or an upgrade. We believe God is there to serve us. And number four, if you believe God's chief concern is your happiness and it doesn't happen, then you're forced to believe that God failed. And that is so many people today. They'll walk away from Christianity and they'll say this, I tried God, but it didn't work. I tried religion, but it didn't work. I tried Christianity, it didn't work. What do you mean it didn't work? Well, it didn't make me happy. Bottom line, a lot of misery results from the mindset that I am entitled to be happy. Isn't it true that your decision to be disobedient came because you thought, if I do this over here, I know what God wants me to do, but if instead of that I do this over here, it will make me happy. Like the prodigal son who thought, if I can just go to the far country, be away from my, my father, then I will be happy. But instead it wound up with misery. Things didn't turn out real well. God is full of joy, and he is not against happiness. Like any perfect father, he delights in seeing his children happy. But like any earthly parent, any earthly parent knows if you just try to keep your child happy, and you do everything to keep your child happy, everything you can do to, to make sure they're always happy, what are they going to be? As, what are they going to grow up to be? A spoiled, self-centered kid who doesn't have any idea how to love, because love requires sacrifice. Love requires you give up something. Love requires you don't get what you want when you want it. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say, God doesn't want us happy. He wants us holy. As if you have to choose between those two. Do you want to be happy or do you want to be holy? But what we really need to understand is that happiness is fueled by holiness. You don't have to choose between the two. You want to be happy is fueled by being holy. David helps us with this in Psalm chapter 1 where he says, Happy is the man who doesn't listen to the wicked. Happy is the man who doesn't hang around with the wicked. Happy is the man who doesn't do what the wicked people do. But the one who 
soaks himself in God and his words like a tree planted by the water who yields fruit in a season, who always has success. So does God want us happy? The answer is yes. God wants us happy. Delight yourself in the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Happy is the man whose God is the Lord. Jesus and the Beatitudes go, happy is the person who does this. Happy is the person who's this. Happy is the person who's this. Rejoice in the Lord always. So those two things aren't pitted against each other. They go together. Happiness is fueled by wholeness. Not only is happy, happiness is fueled by wholeness, but happiness is fueled by gratitude. And, and, and there's a study done, and there, there's been lots of these studies done doing the same thing. I don't know why people don't ever really catch on. They all, I guess they have to try it again. Emmons and McCullough, two guys, they did a study in which they gave a group of people a gratitude journal and asked them every day, write down things you're thankful for, and they gave the other one a gripe journal. Ask, write down every day things that annoy you. And, and we know what happened, but, but it seems surprising. Here's the results. Here's how they uh, summed up the results. The people who kept the gratitude journal they had a lot more energy, were a lot more enthusiastic. They slept better and were a lot less depressed, a lot less depressed. And of course we go, of course they were. And, and we know those things, we expect those things, but so often we're not ever intentionally grateful the way we should be. So happiness is fueled by gratitude. Happiness is fueled by holiness and happiness is also fueled by a focus on others. There was a, a psychologist by the name of, of Martin Seligman. He wrote a book entitled Authentic Happiness. He spent a whole lifetime studying what makes people happy. And, and this is what he said. He said, most people think what will make them happy is if they get more of something that they really, 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 really like. You know, more money. You know, more sex, more chocolate, more success, uh, more recognition. But he said this, there's always a gap between the more and enough. People are always wanting more, but they never seem to be able to have enough. There's always a gap between that. And then he did this that totally changed everything for him. He asked his students one time to go out and do one activity that would bring them pleasure. You know, eating a chocolate sundae or 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 you know, taking a bike ride or, or, or getting together with their friends. And he said, after you do that, I want you to do one activity that focuses on others. And he said this, that the, the results that people got from doing that one pleasurable activity paled in comparison to the results of one selfless act of compassion. Not even close. This is what he wrote. He wrote, the students who were involved in these selfless acts became less self-absorbed, less depressed. They had a greater sense of community and decreased sense of loneliness. He talks about the fact that it's so ironic that people think if I do these things, if I have more of these things, I'll be happy. But literally, that makes them more depressed. But if they will focus on other people, they get happiness thrown in a lot more than they could ever expect 
by focusing on themselves. It was almost as if we were designed that way. Now, he didn't say that. I said that last part. Okay. We look for a pain-free life. Listen, a pain-free life is not going to happen because we live in a fallen world. But we can't have a life still, still full of joy in the midst of the difficulties, full of peace in the midst of difficulties, full of joy and peace that the world can't understand, the world can't comprehend. Here's what we read. For some reason, this thing's not staying where it should. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? I can hear that even. All right, let's try it this way. I'm sorry, I know that's annoying. I, too many things, a lot of things don't bother me, but that's annoying to me if I had to hear it. No, it's really annoying to you. So anyway, try your best to get past that. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. You are blessed. When they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets before them. Rejoice because people insult you. Who does that? Because people persecute you. Who does that? There's a guy by the name of a Richard Wormbrand. He's the one who started the the foundation or the organization called Voice of the Martyrs that keeps track of, of persecuted Christians around the world. And Richard, he was a Jew in Romania, and he became a Christian about the same time that the communists took over Romania. And because he was preaching, he was put in jail. Well, actually prison. And he was told, you, anybody else preaches about Christ while they're in prison, they're going to be severely beaten. And this is what he writes. Oh, let me back up. Okay, let me give you what he writes. He writes this. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted their terms. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating uh, beating us so everyone was happy who thinks like that not anybody who thinks happiness is a what see everyone is looking for a can of happiness but what if God was not in the way of your happiness what he was the way to your happiness here's what we read in Matthew chapter 13 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and, and reburied then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field God doesn't tell us to pursue happiness. He tells us to pursue his kingdom. And when you pursue his kingdom, what's the byproduct? Then it's happiness. Then it's joy. Here's what we read in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want you to get. Joy doesn't come in a package. It comes in a presence. Max Lucado puts it this way. He says, if you took a fish out of the ocean and put it on the beach, would it be happy? Yes or no? If you took that same fish out on the beach and you gave it $200,000, would that fish be happy? Yes or no? If you gave that fish a lounge chair and a Corona beer and a Playfish magazine, would that fish be happy? Some of you are hesitating. <laughs> Look at the gills on that fish. Boy, what a great tail on that fish, right? But would a fish be happy? Yes or no? No. Why? Because the fish wasn't made for the beach. It was made for the ocean. 
Now, if you had everything the world had to offer you, everything the world could give, would you be happy? The answer to that is no. Why? Because we weren't made for this world. We were made for eternity. We are made for God to dwell in us and us to be in him and to have his life flowing through us. That's what brings us happiness. Not everything this world has to offer. So God's highest calling for you is not your happiness. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. There's a difference. See, happiness is based on happenings. Being blessed is based on his goodness. You can be blessed and your car will still break down. You can be blessed and still have physical difficulties. But the thing to understand is that blessing doesn't mean that that stuff's not going to happen, but it will mean that you experience the goodness of God and the presence of God in the midst of all those things that happen. So the question is, do you want to be blessed? You can answer that one if you don't mind. Do you want to be blessed? Yes. Then pray differently. Start praying differently. Our Father, our perfect Heavenly Father, who loves us like only a perfect Heavenly Father could love us, who proved that 2,000 years ago on the cross, who always has and always will have my best interest at heart. Our Father who is in heaven, God, you're above, you're at large, you're in charge, you're sovereign over everything. May your name be honored as holy. We sing it, holy, holy, holy. Because no one is like you. And then after recognizing those things, what other response do we have besides, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. My kingdom is over. I am taking up my cross and denying myself and taking up my cross because I'm a Jesus follower. Not a Jesus convincer, not a Jesus user, a Jesus follower. What else would we do? And then we pray every day, dependent upon him to provide for us. And so we don't worry about stuff. We forgive others because we've been forgiven. We, 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 we don't lead ourselves into temptation. We ask him to lead us out. You want to be blessed? Start praying differently. Here's what we read in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Ooh. See, that's a different way of looking at things, isn't it? If you tried to fill your things with fill your life with other things rather than pursuing God. Understand God's pursuing you. And he wants to come and, and, and be your life. But you have to make that choice. You can choose to pursue after happiness, whatever thing you think is going to make you happiness, or you can choose to pursue him and have happiness thrown in. It all goes back to what you believe about him. Your heavenly father who proved his love on the cross 
We sang about that. Oh, the wonderful cross. Do you believe that, that he, he did that for you? Why would you want to have any other response in life than to submit to him? It's what God wants. It's the only question is, is that what you want? That's the decision that you have to make. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.